You're listening to Business Extra, a podcast by The National in Abu Dhabi. I'm your host, Cody Combs, speaking to you from COP28 in Dubai. This episode is the second part of our feature for five young environmental game changers from the Middle East and North Africa, delving into their personal and professional journeys and advocating for climate justice. In the first part, we spoke to two climate advocates from Lebanon and Jordan. And in this episode, I'm joined by other young and passionate climate youth delegates from the UAE, Morocco, and Mauritania. Before we start, if you want to get all the latest podcast episodes of Business Extra, please follow and subscribe on your favorite podcasting app. I'm sitting now with Hor Ali from the UAE. She is one of 20 UAE nature ambassadors. This is not the first cop for Hor. She participated before in COP26 and in COP27. She is now attending New York University, Abu Dhabi. Welcome. Thanks so much for joining us. I'm also joined by Huliam Hakmi, who is a young climate advocate from Morocco. She is currently pursuing a PhD with a research focus on the interplay between climate change and conflicts in Africa. This is her fourth COP, and she is the founder of several NGOs. I also have with me Omar Sisi from Martenia. Omar co-founded an inventive NGO revolutionizing reforestation. He works on the land reforestation method, enlisting corporate participation for a tangible reforestation impact in Martenia. Thank you all so much. First and foremost, the risk of sounding banal is a basic question, but I think it's an important one to say the least. What made you interested in becoming an environmental advocate or an environmental steward, so to speak? We'll start with Hor. First of all, thank you so much for the great introduction. It's my absolute pleasure to be here with you. And for me, I would say my journey started more from this love for nature, love for going on hikes, love for going to the beach. And it's basically that I got to get more and more and more into the diversity and into the into the amazing geography of the UAE. I mean, like for most people, it would be maybe like thought of as this like desert or sandy place, but then there is a whole other world in the mountainside of it, you know? And then it's, they might seem barren, but then there's this whole geography and very interesting flora and fauna and diversity that not most people know about. So we started getting more into that. And then with the Nature Ambassadors program, we had very extensive training as in what are the different geographical areas of the UAE, what are species that are under different umbrellas. And the more and more and more I started to know, the more and more and more I started to get into that environmental community the more I started to learn about how important it is for us to, first of all, learn about those things. Second, to tell the people that around us, I mean, many of this knowledge that I've been hearing when I would share it, for example, with my parents, they'd be like, yes, we know about it. They knew about it from their grandparents and from their parents, because that is sort of the indigenous, the Bedouin, the knowledge that is in the country. So it's more of how we as a generation learn about those things and how do we pass it on. So I made it basically like my endeavor to make sure that everyone knows about those things. And Omar, what made you interested? All right, thank you so much for the invitation. Like uh, on my side, like it's very kind of simple because since my childhood, like I had my parent, especially my father always bringing me to the forest because he was kind of like mixed with farmer and also like selling some stuff. So uh, like we had, we had a forest like near our home. So always I was just going and hanging around there. So now currently like the forest is not anymore there. Because actually, because of the land degradation and also the desertification, which is actually we are facing in Mauritania, which actually lead me like to maybe just say like, why can't I also, uh, like protect it and also conserve it? So that's why I led and went to do my actually undergraduate degree in environmental science and also my postgraduate degree. So that's why actually I'm actually very in, uh, keen to uh, conserve my community and also to bring more action. And William from Morocco. 
So yeah, first of all, thank you so much for the invitation. It's a pleasure and honor to be here with you and this amazing youth. Um, for me, I would say it's more a sense of responsibility because I feel that we are benefiting from countless resources from the planet Earth. And the least we can do, like the only fair thing we can do is to protect the environment. And again, I mean, protecting the environment is safeguarding uh, the planet for the future generation. So for me, it's something that we need to pay back. And also, I mean, given that I'm young, I have time and I have energy and content of knowledge. I should be using that for um, the, the common good, which is, in this case, um, environment and climate advocacy. And we spoke a little bit earlier about the, the word choice being important, about activist versus advocate. You, you said you prefer advocate. Can you extrapolate on that a little bit? Sure. Um, so basically, I, I consider myself as a climate and environment advocate because of the way how I do advocate for environment and for climate. So my way is to do research on the issues, for instance, facing my country, Morocco, then uh, try to come up with a recommendation and then at the end, elaborate policy briefs, policy papers and give them to the decision makers and stakeholders. And I believe this way is more convincing because it shows that we are the youth, we have some content of knowledge and we can help you. We're not like only like we cannot like only do like actions and demonstration but also in the same time we can participate in the elaboration of maybe regional public policies and participate in international international conferences and share um the the, the knowledge we we have acquired through our, our education and like our academic life and looking back on some of your formative years was there a moment that sort of kind of turned you on to environmentalism or had you kind of pivot your mindset to environmentalism Yes, actually, I would say that was during my primary school. It was the first time I have been encountered with the concept of sustainable development. Um, the teacher by then, she didn't really explain it well. So I went back to my father and he has explained it to me. And he has actually shocked me with facts regarding the environment degradation. And since then, I started like being a climate advocate. And I remember at that time I have... Um, established and created my first environment club in primary school at the age of nine. And then at college, I have found like more and more NGOs. And Howard, how about you? Was there a moment where the light switch sort of came on? I mean, for me, I would say I would take it back to my first, um, in a way, experience getting into the environmental community. Because before that was mainly out of an interest. And then it became that when I became part of the Connect with Nature family under the Nature Ambassadors, it's when I, when I started connecting with other people that were interested in the field. And it's basically that knowledge sharing, that experience sharing. And it's basically us getting to know each other and us getting to know about the work each of us is doing that was driving me, I would see it's giving me that energy to go on and showing me that yes i see a, a live presentation of what we can do and the power that we have so it gives us that motivation i would say because when you see other people they have their own ideas and they make those ideas become in, into reality and you have that idea that you want to reduce paper waste in your company that can be done you know this is just one example of what I was seeing from the nature ambassadors that were around me. And that also made me think, like I was at school that time. So it made me think, what can I do in my school? What can I increase? What, I, what can I decrease? What can I advocate for in that case? And it's basically, I would say that, so it's more of the community that was around me that was lifting me up. And then I was trying to echo that, basically have that ripple effect into my school and into other communities that I was part of. And Omar, is there a moment that sticks out to you 
from your childhood or teenage years that really kind of change your mentality? I think I second like uh, what Jorge said because like being embedded in an environment where actually just so like two kind of uh, situation starting from the first I remember like in when we were actually harvesting like or you know agriculture stuff and everything we were harvesting a lot but now we don't harvest like the same like as maybe 10 years ago so that actually made me lead, like why not love the nature it was something like because I was living in the nature so I think uh, that why like made me keen to just conserve it and just yeah protect it yeah and of course climate change affects all countries it does not affect all countries the same way it might seem pretty obvious, but I'm going to delve into specifics. Let's talk about Martenia. What specific problems does climate change pose and how is climate change affecting Martenia? Definitely. So, as okay, geographically, Mauritania is actually in the northwest in um, like Africa. So, uh, Mauritania is part of the Sahel and North Africa region and uh, is actually facing desertification problem. And also sea level rise because we're in the same level with sea. But like the, the most important thing is actually the sea, uh, no, uh, the desertification, because uh, most of the livelihood uh, people are actually are focusing into agriculture. And when the when the land is degraded, so they they will not anymore harvest or they they will not anymore have their uh, like because most of their livelihood are depending on those uh, agriculture thing. So I think. Uh, Desertification was one of the most important thing because actually it's degraded land and also it's taking more play, it's taking more uh, space, and yeah, that's actually Mauritania. Most that's why like Mauritania is part of the Great Green Wall project, which is actually uh, embed like eleven countries starting from Mauritania to Djibouti. Like as you can see from the map, you can see like up is actually white and uh, sub-Saharan African is actually green. So they are trying to you know uh, create that wall. And at the same time, support those communities, especially vulnerable communities who are facing uh, desertification. And who, how about the United Arab Emirates? So I would say in here, for me, I was struck by the, like living in here, you won't be thinking that's where that's affected by climate change. But then, for example, the like last semester, I was taking a class called um, Himalayas Geopolitics of Water and the Climate Crisis. And then through that, I got to know that the UAE has projects in the Himalayan region. And then I was basically like questioning my professor as in like, but what, what are the motivations behind it? I mean, yes, the UAE has, has this mission to help itself combat climate change and help other countries. But then there, there are also like other things that play a part in that. So she was telling me that even though the Himalayan region, the glaciers might seem very far off, they still affect the UAE's climate and the UAE's temperature very prominently. So it's basically with the glacier melting, the monsoons and all of those tides that affect the UAE are also going to be affected. So it's more of that I got to know about how even like climate change in other countries is playing a role and is creating that difference in here. And I would say another problem, which is also an opportunity at the same time in here, is that with the UAE being this ever-growing country and an ever-developing country, how it, it comes down to how we balance between this transition that we want to develop, but then how do you also ensure that it is... Um, in a way, like we're reaching the carbon neutrality that we're aiming for, we're reaching the the renewable energy uh, goals that we're that we're aiming for. So it's more of this balance between developing and achieving the targets that we want, but then also contributing to to climate action. And William, how about Morocco? Well, when it comes to Morocco, I would say like one of the main issues is water scarcity than roads because there have been like a decrease in the precipitations. And I would join Omar's point when it comes to agriculture because climate change has really affected agriculture, which is one of the main sectors in Morocco. So tell me more about some of the projects you're working on in Morocco. 
Okay, so maybe I will start with the recent one and maybe the most important one so far, which is the Moroccan Young Negotiator Council. So which aims to, uh, first of all, gather youth who are working on climate change and environment like in general, uh, train them, and then they would be able to participate like in regional um, meetings to elaborate public policies and in international conferences like the COPs, like the UNSBs, to be able to, to negotiate. Um, this council is going to be established with the, with the partnership with the Ministry of Energy Transition and Sustainable Development. We had the meetings with several meetings with the ministry and with the minister, uh, Her Excellency Leila Bin Ali last year. And we're also going to have like a meeting with her during this COP to uh, finalize the establishment of the council. Um, when it comes to the other NGOs, there is one which is called the Green Universities for Sustainability, in which aims to bring Moroccan and African universities together. So we would uh, work together to turn in the campuses into green ones and sustainable ones. Um, the charter of uh, the Green University Sustainability to be signed by the president has been presented in COP26 in one of the side events, the Moroccan Pavilion. And now we have about like 26 universities, Moroccan and African, at their two to, to our charter. And it works on education, cooperation, um, etc. And then the final NGO, which is uh, Union of Young Leaders. It's basically in the northeast of Morocco um, because there's like a lot of NGOs there. So the main objective was to mobilize you to take actions, not only when it comes to environment, but like for the all the SDGs. The action that we have been taking so far uh, are regarding like raising awareness and uh, working on public policy briefs. Um, for instance, now we are working on all the schools in one of the cities in the north of east of Morocco and we train the students there and we encourage them to take sustainable actions because there is a program in Morocco. If you take some actions and you respect some criteria, then your school is going to be awarded with the green flag. So this is the work um, like we're doing so far when it comes to, to our NGOs. And Omar, how about you? The project I was working on is actually about land restoration. So we use like, uh, like nature-based solution. So we just involve local communities, especially the most important is actually local women. So we have something which uh, some local women in, in the rural area, like they have non-timber product. I don't know if you heard about it, non-timber product. So most of them, they rely on those non-timber product and they add value and they sell it into the town. So uh, those trees, most of them are degraded. So what we do is just we try to involve them like by telling them, so you have to collect the seed for us and we will be uh, processing the seed to make it a quality seed and after that, uh, helping them to restore the land. And also there is a way where we use seed bowls as a seed ball mixed with compost and clay and uh, like as a bowl and uh, we put it sometime in drone but like we didn't uh, acquire that kind of technology but we we just throw it and when the rain come it start to grow so now we are we are actually working on that especially with local women we just want to involve them into the conserve like uh, how to conserve the area and also how they can be involved and uh, the most important thing also is actually especially do we have some grassroots organization in the rural area so we just try to help them by teaching them how they can restore like nature-based solution because most of them they just know how to do some capacity building but like the, the action into the in, into the ground is very different because you can just have a workshop on an office and everything but doesn't mean like doing the on the ground is more actually something which you like it's actually the action which is more important than on the office and everything. So that's why we involve like most of organization on the ground and working with us. And what kind of things are you working on in the UAE? 
So as of now, my latest engagement was Student Energy Summit, which is the largest youth-led summit in the world. And it's the 29th of November through the 1st of December. And it was amazing. We got 650 delegates from 120 countries from all around the world. I mean, it was just amazing to see how those or the summit that we have worked on for a whole year and even more than that with the people that were there and were on the team before that. It was very hard work that everyone was working on. And we wanted to ensure that it's not just about the delegates that we bring into the UAE to the, for, for the summit, but that we're also extending the legacy of it behind that and with that we reach more and more people. So for that, we were basically wanted to ensure that in the conferences that we would attend as Student Energy Summit team, we would have an event or we would have a workshop or we would have a training for the people that are there. And that ranged from our engagement with them in COP27, World Utilities Congress, EDSW, New York Climate Week, MENA Climate Week, and many other conferences. And then we also ran many competitions for youth to showcase their work. And many of them, like they participated with us in video competitions that we've hosted and essay competitions because we wanted to ensure that we're not just, for example, tackling the creative side, but we're also giving a chance for people that are more interested in academia and they have papers that, uh, that they want to showcase and from there it's basically bringing in all of those people and we're, we're giving them that platform to reimagine the future of energy through a student energy summit it's this 3d summit where each day we focus on a different theme we focus on a different thing and i mean this is the first time that i talk about it as something that's happened in the past usually i would talk about it as something that is happening but it it, it happened i mean and we got the delegates and the impact and we, like I really wanted to emphasize that with every delegate I talk to, I tell them, this is your chance to network with the people that are in here. The people that are here, the youth that are around you, the experts that are here, you learn from them, you get the, 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 the knowledge that you need, and you also connect with them. And many of them would be connecting with the people from their country, with the people from their region. And it's basically, we want to give them that opportunity and that platform for them to showcase the work that they do. And... I think that also showed me how important it is to it's like for me I yani I started participating in, in in climate conferences since I was like at the age of 15 or 16 and now I'm I'm seeing it from the other perspective the organizer side and I see like how much goes into it and what is the thinking behind it so it's all of that that I feel it's allowing me to develop in a way and like to connect with people and everything. So yeah, this is the latest thing. I mean, there is more, but I, yeah, this is the latest engagement for me. So Huyam, in terms of changes, policy changes, what sort of things are you advocating for that would result in some positive environmental news for Morocco? To be honest, when it comes to Morocco, um, and I can say that I'm really satisfied with what is Morocco doing so far because Morocco is a good student when it comes to climate change programs and solutions and it has one of the strongest indices and it's investing a lot when it comes to renewable energy. So, so far when Morocco is doing good, but I would advocate for more, for better water management uh, policies and like nowadays with the help of USAID, we're working on a, um, on a uh, water law so to better uh, manage the consumption of water. And also another policy that I'm advocating for, not only at the national level, but at the international level, as I have mentioned, like I'm a PhD student and I'm working on conflict prevention when it comes to the African continent. 
And I believe that climate change is one of the main triggers to conflicts in Africa. And we have many conflicts happening in Africa. So also like my advocacy would go for Morocco to advocate for more conflict prevention mechanisms that are um, targeting climate change. Because I believe that by managing like a big climate change uh, issues that are happening in the African continent, that would help maybe to prevent and reduce uh, the conflicts in the um, in the African continent. And another issue we have in Morocco is um, the lack of awareness when it comes to the climate change. People in Morocco, I believe, they still don't really feel the urgency of the climate crisis. And I keep saying, I mean, going back to COVID-19 and all the media campaigns, I mean, everyone knew the danger of the virus. But why can't we do same when it comes to uh, to climate change? And for this one of the projects we have been working on so far, it's a green passport. So basically, it aims to train the Moroccan youth. So first of all, they'll be they will be receiving a training on sustainable developments, its basics, the environment, the climate change concepts, etc. Then they would receive uh, a green passport. And then once they would continue a series of workshops and trainings and they would take actions, they're going to be receiving points, more points on their passport. And then those points can be um, exchanged into some discounts, into um, eco-friendly, let's say, entertaining uh, activities, um, eco-friendly restaurants, um, etc. We believe that like by encouraging youth, like by let's say by um, offering them those discounts, I'm going. I guess we can uh, attract more youth to like be sustainable in their daily life. And what about the United Arab Emirates? What sort of policies on the international level would you like to see results in positive outcomes for the UAE? I mean, the first one was one that was institutionalized, if that's the word for it, last year, and it was when they banned plastic bags. And you had to pay to get those plastic bags. And from the next day, the day right after it, less than 24 hours since the policy came into being, people started getting their own bags. And it showed that, yes, that was possible from the beginning, but then it needed that national incentive or that, you know, that putting charge on the on the plastic bag. So it shows that change is possible. Not everyone is willing to take that change, but then sometimes national interference is needed uh, is, is needed for that. And I would say maybe I, yeah, I mean, what I would want to see is something maybe similar for plastic buttons as well, because as of now, there are incentives for people to, for example, like collect the plastic bottles and then you could go to uh, different gas stations or oil and uh, put that in there. But then that on, on a national level, it would have a much bigger impact. For example, like now I see it in my family's house. They would be at the end of the day with the family gathering, they would be collecting oil plastic bottles. And then once they have a good amount collected, we would go and put them into those machines. So that gives an incentive because you would get points. And then as Yam mentioned, you get uh, discounts in different places and you get points and all, and you can redeem those in different places. So incentives are a good thing and people would work upon them. But then with the national institution of, of those policies, I think there is a far greater impact that can happen. And Omar, how about you? What kind of policy changes would you like to push for? All right, something uh, what she says, which is very important, because them, I think, uh, like we, if we can implement those kind of policy, which will focus on behavioral change, because like we have that kind of problem. Even us, we've been burning uh, plastic back, but no one respected. So if we have like this kind of stuff, like where it can influence people, how they can change with the time, like something 
Mauritanian people, they don't know anything about what is happening, like climate change. They don't care. They just throw. But you can see sometimes you just drive and someone throw like a plastic. So if we have like this kind of uh, policy, which is actually very moving forward and also telling people they shouldn't do this and let them know and also do, you know, those kind of uh, like awareness campaign and everything, like people will be aware of what is happening. So, yeah, I think if we have those kind of policy, which first focus on behavior change, because people, most of them, they don't just, they just, you know, do things without even being aware, like they are destroying the environment. So, yeah, I think that's, that's, those are the most important component. Thanks so much, Omar, William, Or. We know your schedules have been very packed at COP. We know it's going to get a lot busier as this reaches a crescendo. I want to thank you so much for joining us on Business Extra Podcast to talk about this important issue. The amazing work of these young delegates cannot be underestimated, and their stories are important to hear. From their COP28 experiences to future priorities, these coming-of-age climate delegates share their vision for a sustainable tomorrow. Thank you so much for joining us, and thanks for listening to this episode of Business Extra. Remember to follow us to get all of our updates as soon as they come out. This episode was produced by Doa Farid, Phil Green, and Arthur Edison. I'm Cody Combs reporting from COP28 in Dubai.